Welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. I promise this week no more buckets and smashing things and yeah, nearly electrocuting everyone on stage. But Oh, it's hard to believe we've spent 10 weeks in Jeremiah. Wow, I know. That's a long time. And it has been a, a difficult book, a book full of lots of judgment, lots of lament. I guess built, like when we looked at that week of building a theology of lament, it's also been a book that's helped us to understand how to trust God in the midst of social changes. And as we come to the, our final session in Jeremiah, we want to finish on hope. Jeremiah is an interesting book. You kind of got the, the opening chapters are all full of judgment. The end chapters are full of judgment, but the middle is full of hope. And last week, Murray gave us a message on Jeremiah 29, that famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And today we're looking at, well, it's a very, very important passage for us as Christians, Jeremiah's new covenant. In fact, every time you open your Bibles to the New Testament, that's a reminder of that, that we are in this new covenant period, that this time that Jeremiah prophesied, it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so today's plan in the next 18 minutes is we're going to spend a little bit of time nerding out on what's covenant, some of the more technical language, and we'll kind of land the plane on something practical and with hope and hopefully you'll leave here feeling joyful at the hope of the promise that Jeremiah made. So covenants, anyone know what a covenant is? It's an unusual word. So I want to be brave and shout out, what, what is a covenant do you think? Pardon? Promise, yeah, yeah. It's a good way of looking at a promise. So a covenant is like a promise or an agreement. And there's in, in Hebrew, whenever we read, I'm going to make a covenant, it's like the technical word is I'm going to cut a covenant. I like that image because often in the Old Testament, you would use animals to make an agreement with a covenant. And what uh, happens one time with God and Abraham, Abraham cuts all these animals in half. And what you were doing was by cutting these animals was it was a way to say, hey, if I do not fulfill the agreement of this covenant, I will be cursed like this animal. And so God cuts several covenants in the Old Testament. Um, you can think of Noah with the sign of the rainbow. Obviously, Abraham, who I've just mentioned, and there's a few signs for Abraham. There's Abraham cutting animals in half. There's obviously circumcision, the stars in the sky. Um, we've got Mount Sinai, we've got David. There's all these covenants that God makes with his people, these agreements that he'll make a promise to them if the Israelites do something in return, which is usually obedience. Now, for the book of Jeremiah, what's helpful for us, the most important covenant to kind of understand is the covenant at Sinai with Moses. Now, when the Israelites escape from Egypt, what, what, happened, what would happen in the ancient world if you were in a slave, if you had lost all your money, had to sell yourself to slavery, what could happen was your family could redeem you. They'd pay a price, and you would owe your family this debt. Now, an example in the modern world is 
What's better to owe? Who's it better to owe money to? Commonwealth Bank or the bank of mum and dad? Mum and dad. Mum and dad probably aren't going to charge exorbitant interest rates. They're going to increase every month. And it was a, a similar way like that in the ancient world. If you were redeemed by your family, well, what's it better to be under? Under this cruel master who's going to work you to the bone or your family who's paid a price to redeem you? In a similar way, when the Israelites were in Egypt as slaves, when God rescues them, and God used the analogy, he is a father, the nation of Israel is his firstborn son. So he rescues them. And then as part of that, there's an agreement that is made. Now, here's another question for you all. Does God give the law before he rescues the Israelites? Or after? When is it? After. Yeah, that's interesting. We have this view of God that the law is this oppressive works-based thing. Actually, God showed grace by rescuing the Israelites from Egypt so they could escape. Actually showing grace. The law is a way for them to live as God's people. It's a way to help guide them. It's actually the law in the Old Testament is not seen as oppressive. It's actually seen as free. But with that law, there, there came part of that covenant. There was an agreement that if the Israelites were obedient, God would bless them, bless them abundantly. Hey, there'd be plenty of crops every harvest. There'd be lots of rain for. There'd be no warfare. There'd be this wonderful place to live. However, if you were disobedient, there would be all of these curses. And the ultimate curse was exiled, to be vomited out of the land. That's where we land with Jeremiah. So in the point of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is like a new Moses, warning the people, hey, like you've got to be obedient or God's going to boot you out of the land. And so by the time we get to Jeremiah chapter 31, God's already decided the old covenant, it's gone. You guys have breached it. I haven't done anything wrong. You have. Because you Israelites have breached my covenant, you're going to get kicked out of the land. We need something new, a new covenant, a new agreement. And it's really interesting how God says here, and I'll reread these words again. It says, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And that language of writing on the hearts, it's occurred one other time in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah says, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts. Jeremiah's saying the people are so wicked, it's like sin has been written on their hearts. It just, we just, they just cannot escape their sin. So God now has to act. God has to do something new. The co- this covenant's not just going to be written on stone tablets. It's going to be written on people's hearts. It's going to do a transforming work. 
that the people have never experienced before. As it says in there that um, when God talks about um, knowing them, uh, this is verse 44, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, in English, the word know kind of just implies just sort of a knowledge. Like we know two plus two equals four, right? And so when we read, oh, yeah, yeah, I will know the Lord. You think, okay, they'll kind of have this knowledge, this abstract knowledge, a two plus two equals four knowledge of God. But in Hebrew, the word yada means so much deeper than just an intellectual knowledge. It's actually implied in like covenant language. And it's often used around marriage. So when it says in Scripture, Adam knew his wife, she gave birth to a son, that knowledge is this covenant marriage knowledge, this deep, intimate knowledge. That's what God's saying. I'm, I'm going to know you so intimately. It's like this marriage relationship. And it's not just going to be me who knows you. You're going to know me too. You're going to know me with this deep intimacy. It is like a marriage. It's utterly transforming. It's mind-blowing for these people because right now they think that God has abandoned them. We're not really sure when Jeremiah 31 was written, but it's probably around the time when the Babylonian armies are surrounding Jerusalem. Jeremiah is probably in prison. Seems like God has abandoned them. God has forgotten them. Now it's this promise that God is going to know you so deeply. It's like a marriage and you will too. And in Scripture, God himself, he, God remembers everything. This is probably one of the few occasions where God actually forgets something. At the end of verse 34, it says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Why is that such a big deal? Why is God forgetting our sins such a big deal? Well, according to Genesis, the biggest problems humans face is sin. When Adam and Eve sinned all the way back in the garden, it ruptured God's good world. And the Bible is really just a story about how God is re- reuniting himself and humanity. But sin always plays a problem. Sin equals death. And so Probably is that in the, particularly in the old covenant was the only way to get forgiveness of sins was by some sort of animal sacrifice. The the shed blood of that animal was like an antidote. If if sin equals death, blood equals life. But here God's saying, there's gonna be no sacrifice. No more animals will need to be shed. I will forgive your sins, and I'll forget them completely and utterly. Now, friends, as people who are image bearers of God in this corrupt and fallen world, forgiveness of sins should be the most comforting thing imaginable. The fact that God forgets our sins should be reason to jump out of bed every morning. All of us are tarnished by our vices, whether it be greed, lust, whatever it might be. All of us are tarnished by some sort of anxiety or imposter syndrome or just this 
feeling of, we don't want people to know our true self, so we put on a mask. What Jeremiah is saying is that, friends, one day you will be free. You're going to be liberated, liberated completely and utterly. You'll be able to live as your true self because you're going to have this deep, deep knowledge of God. His law is going to be written on you in your mind and in your heart. It's going to transform you. You're not going to live with the guilt of sin, the shame of anxiety, the, the feeling of being depressed or whatever it might be. You're going to live as a free person because you'll be forgiven and God will have forgotten the terrible things you have done. You can live with this knowledge. God is my God when I'm one of his children. That's what Jeremiah is talking about. It's this deep, profound hope, something that is just so freeing for us as people in the new covenant. And it's interesting, if we go back to the beginning of Jeremiah's um, new covenant, he says, when I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah, it's interesting language. It's like, why does he specify Israel and Judah? Now, how many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. Okay. Now, for those who know their biblical history, do you know about the split between the tribe of Israel and the tribes of Judah? Do you know what I'm talking about? So there was ten tribes of Israel and there was two tribes of Judah. So there was a big split after King Solomon's son Rehoboam was king. And so the ten tribes of Israel ceased to exist. They were exiled by the Assyrians. And all that's left is Judah. So how can the promise of Abraham be fulfilled if 10 of the tribes are missing? But here, Jeremiah is saying there's going to be a people of Israel and a people of Judah. Now let's jump forward to Jesus. How many disciples did Jesus have? Yeah, 12. Do you think that was an accident? What do you think he's trying to do there? representing a new Israel. And on that night when Jesus was betrayed, he transforms the Passover from a symbol of the Exodus to actually a symbol of Jeremiah's new covenant. And the Gospel of Luke is the only Gospel that uses this language. And I'll read it here. So this is from Luke chapter 22. And I'll read here from verse 17. It says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The only time in the Gospels that Jesus uses that language, riffing back of Jeremiah, showing his disciples, hey, this is something new here. Now that promise Jeremiah gave of the law being written on people's minds and hearts, of knowing God in his deep, intimate fashion, it is through me, through this cup which is shed. 
So before Jesus got 12 disciples around him, this is house of Israel and the house of Judah. He's rebuilding a new people of God. And if you keep reading through the Gospels and Acts, we see that this 12 tribe, these 12 apostles, it doesn't just stay with them. The church grows. It grows to include not only Jews and Israelites, but Gentiles. Everyone is blessed. The new covenant is open to all who want to believe in Jesus. In fact, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he, he says this um, in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. It says here, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's spe- special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter recognized that. He's writing to Gentiles, using language to describe the Israelites. Now that includes you. That includes all of us. Yeah, Jeremiah is a very, very tough book. There's a reason why I picked it, because I love tough books. The more difficult an Old Testament book, I'm like, I love it even more. But yeah, in the midst of all the judgment, all the lament, and all the hardship, there is this sense of hope. Yeah, God's wrath, God's anger, that can be really hard for us to to wrestle with as Christians. But uh, the point of going through Jeremiah, and I hope that you understand, is that Judgment wasn't for the sake of judgment. Judgment was there to punish sin and evil. But through that judgment, God brings something new. In the case of Jeremiah, it's a new covenant. God wants his people to know him. God's desire is for us to be his people and for him to be our God. That is his heart for us. Jesus Christ. in many ways, his life mirrors the, the, the story of Israel. And by being crucified, it's like he was exiled. Jesus experienced that exile on the cross, being separated from God. He's crucified outside the city. Came a wandering pilgrim so that we may have life. And friends, today, do you know this God? Perhaps you've been sitting here in church for a number of years Heard lots of sermons, been in Bible studies. Do you know this God? Do you know God in this deep, intimate way? That word yada. Not just, oh, yeah, I know that there's a God in heaven and that he's creator. But this deep, personal knowledge, like this marriage relationship. Can you honestly say, oh, God's laws have been written on my mind and on my heart. And you say that, well, yeah, God is my God. I am his child. And if you can't honestly say that today, well, I'll give you an opportunity at the end of service to come up the front or come up to the back with the prayer team and experience that God, to find that intimate knowledge that he wants, for his spirit to come in and transform your heart and mind to lift away the shame of sin, of anxiety, of guilt, 
of our addictions live as free people. And what's, what's really cool about the new covenant is that when God talks about, hey, you know, God is one who points the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea. What he's saying there is that this is never going to end. There's a promise in the Bible that as long as this, this, the, the sun will always rise, the earth will remain. This is a promise that will never, ever go away. There's something freeing. There's something joyful about that. So you want to experience that today? Come up to the front or come up to the back and learn to know who this God is. Let me pray for us now. Yeah, Lord, we just give you thanks for that new covenant that we live under as your people. We, yeah, Lord, no longer live under the old covenant with animal sacrifices and following Torah, but we live in the new one where Jesus has saved us and redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so we give you thanks that, that Lord, that you have forgiven our sins and that you remember them no more, that they were paid for on the cross. And Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to know you, I pray, Lord, that you will stir within them, Lord, that desire to be your child and for them to call you their God. And so, Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.